So, what is Advent? Why, why do we celebrate Advent? Why is Advent so important? Well, I'll tell you, in Latin, the word Advent means literally coming. It, it means coming. And, and when we talk about Advent, um, and when we celebrate it, we, we celebrate it typically the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And we do that because it's a time for, for the church, the global church, worldwide, to all collectively study and remember the promise that God gave when He said that He would send His Son, that God would come to earth and that He would establish His kingdom. And so when we celebrate Advent, it's more than lighting a candle. It's actually a time of remembrance. It's a time that we remember that we serve a God that always keeps His promises, that, that we serve a God that indeed kept His promise and did send His Son, that His Son is everything that He promised He would be and more and also that His Son is returning. And so we're here to celebrate the first Advent. That's what Christmas is about, the, the, the coming of Christ in His birth. But we're also here to look forward to the second Advent, when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Amen? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So let's dive in with both feet, if you don't mind. Grab a Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, starting in verse 6, we are going to study uh, what Advent is all about, why Christmas is important, why Christmas is important. And so uh, here we go, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. And while you turn there, I want to give you some background. And when I say background, I mean the way, 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 way back background, okay? Uh, this, this, is, this is as far back as, as you need to go, probably. You remember a guy named Joseph? You remember that guy? Uh, there's Joseph, and, and, and he had all the brothers, and, and the brothers were jealous of Joseph because Joseph was his father's favorite, had that beautiful coat of many colors, and, and remember his, his uh, brothers were jealous, and, and so they threw him into a pit, and eventually he was sold into slavery, and, 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 and then he was you know went to Potiphar's house, and he rose up in rank, and then he got thrown into prison because uh, she lied about him, and then he rose up in rank in prison, and next thing you know, he's working for Pharaoh, he rises up in rank with Pharaoh, he, he puts him in, in basically his second command of all the kingdom, you remember the great uh, the great famine comes and his family has nothing to eat. And so they go to Egypt looking for food and Joseph reveals himself and eventually his, his entire family sends his brothers back, grab my father, grab my younger brother. Whole family moves to Egypt where they live like royalty. And the Bible says literally that they multiply. I mean, they multiply. The Israelites just began to spread and wealth and prosperity and kind of take over Egypt. And Pharaoh was always good to him until he died. And then a new king took over. And that new king saw the Israelites as a threat, right? So what did he do? He worked them harshly and he enslaved them. And so God, because his people were enslaved, he heard their cries and he sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to be their deliverer. And Moses led them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and they entered into the desert. And then you'll remember because of their lack of faith, they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then Joshua led them into the promised land. And, and, and they received the great promise of God, this land flowing with milk and honey. And it was all theirs, but it wasn't enough. They wanted to be like the nations around them. And so they asked for a king and they got Saul. After Saul, God raised up a king after his own heart, David. And after David, we have Solomon, who was the wisest man in all of the world, except when it came to women. And the kingdom was divided. 
And it's to this divided kingdom that, get this, is about to find themselves enslaved again. Within a hundred years of the text we're about to read, Israel will be an enslaved nation again. A, a, a people that are bound again. And it's to these people that Isaiah writes, basically, have hope. Have hope. A Savior is coming. There is one that is coming. There's hope on the horizon. Listen to his words, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. You could, you could read that. For, for to us a child will be born. He says, to us a son is given. Again, to us a son will be given. And, and you can, we can translate it that way because of this next phrase. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, if that's of his kingdom, of his reign and peace. Get this, there will be no end. There will be no end. And so this morning as we begin our Advent season, as we begin this time that we rejoice in the fulfilled promise of God, I, I, I thought we would start with that promise in Isaiah. And let's look, I've just got four truths to share with you about the promise that God made and why the, that, that promise is a big deal for us. Okay, here's the first. I want you to see as we study this promise, we find that Christ is the wonderful counselor. Christ is the wonderful counselor there in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. I want you to write this down under that first point. Ready? In the first person, I want you to write this down. I can turn to Christ with all of my problems. I can turn to Christ with all of my problems. That, that's God's promise. It says he will be a wonderful, he will be the wonderful counselor. Now, now hear me, as, as pastors on staff, um, we provide a lot of counseling. Uh, Alan actually has a, a, a degree in, in biblical counseling, uh, biblical counseling. Um, and as, as, as pastors on staff, we provide all kinds of counseling. We do premarital counseling, you know. The, the, you, you remember what that was like when you were young and stupid and in love, right? Oh, it's okay, we have two pennies, let's get married. And you got to look at those young and love people and go, listen, you can't pay rent with two pennies, okay? All right, let's talk. And, and, and so we do the premarital counseling, but we also do, and, and a big part of what we do, we call crisis counseling. That just means that some kind of crisis has arisen in the life of the family members of, of our church. And, and, um, and so we sit down with them in the midst of the storm, and we try to help them just navigate through just that tough part. And it's usually one or two or three sessions. It's not much more than that. Anything long-term, we, we refer them out to some people that can help them long-term get back on track. Um, but that crisis counseling, man, it can, it can have to do with marriage problems. It can have to do with finances. Um, it can have to do with spiritual problems. We, we, we provide counseling. It's a, it's a big part of our job. Some weeks, it's way larger than other weeks. Uh, there are weeks that when my door is open or my door is shut, it's not because I'm studying. It's because I'm meeting with somebody, and I'm wishing I could study. Um, those things happen. I, I mean, it just happens. There'll be a week where we counsel with nobody, and then a week where we've got four people that, that it's all emergency. But here's the deal that we would tell you as a staff, because we try to be honest. There is nothing wonderful about our counsel. In fact, if we were going to put a, put a sign or a slogan attached to our counsel, it would be limited counsel. 
right? We're the limited counselors. That's who we are. And the reason why is there's no possible way for us to identify with every situation of life that you're going through. There's just absolutely no way. We can't understand every hurt or pain that you have. We, we haven't always walked through the trouble or the trial that you're currently walking through. But you know what? Hear me today. There is one who can. There's one who has, and his name is Jesus, and he is the promised Savior. What did God say to Moses? Remember, he's calling Moses to himself. He's saying, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And he says something very specific about his people. He says, listen, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. He says, Moses, I know my people's pain. And that's the great truth. And the same is true about Jesus. When God sent Jesus, he sent us one that knows his people's pain. And he's a wonderful counselor what scripture says and that's not just a promise to the israelites god didn't just know what was going on with the israelites listen to me about what we have in jesus here's how the writer of hebrews says it hebrews 4 15 he says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize i don't, I don't know about you but when i sit down with somebody and they've never walked in my shoes it's a little difficult for me to pour my heart out to them I don't know if you ever felt that way. Maybe, you know, you're sitting across from your boss and your boss is telling you, well, well, listen, I'm sorry, but there's just no Christmas bonus for you this year. And you're going, but wait a second, I've got four kids and I've got a mortgage. And, you know, and here they are and they're like, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't understand your, your, your phase of life. My house is paid for and so is my boat and my Lexus and my Mercedes. And, my, you know, they're going through the, my life is, and, and they, they can't sympathize with you. It's very difficult, but hear me, Jesus can Jesus died. This is what it says, For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Our God is a wonderful counsel. That's what it's saying. It's saying Jesus knows broken people. He understands our weakness, our flaws, and our failures. And because of that, we can turn to him. When, when you feel like your marriage is, is falling apart, who should you turn to? Jesus when you're experiencing loss, who should you run to? Jesus. When your kids are driving you crazy, who do you pray to? Jesus. When you feel like you just want to give up, who do you ask for help? The answer is Jesus. Why? Because he is our wonderful counselor. That's who he is. Listen, friend. I know you're tempted when trials in life come your way. I know the temptation is to get on the phone and to try to find somebody that's been in that situation of life before and to ask for their help. But I just want to be honest with you, okay? That's just one broken person calling another broken person. You don't need another broken person. You need somebody that can repair the damage. You need wise counsel. I want to encourage you, man, when, when you find yourself in that situation in life, would you run to the wonderful counsel? He's got an answer for you, I promise. Number two, once you see this about this promised Savior, this promised Messiah that is to come, once you see that the promise is that he will have the power to save us. Christ has the power to save us. Not only does he understand us, not only does he provide this wonderful counsel, but he also has the power to do something about it. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. He is God made man. What does the Bible say about him? Remember 1 John, how it begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made that have been made. Without him nothing 
was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And just those few three verses there tell us that, that Jesus is eternal. See, he's always been. Tells us that Jesus is God. Says he was with God and he was God. And, and that's the truth. He tells us that all things were made through him. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. He's got the power. There's no need to run someplace or to some person that can't fix you. Run to the one that can. He's a mighty God. That's what it means. It means that Jesus is really, 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 really powerful. That's who he is. That's the promise of God. God says, listen, Israelites, listen, children, listen, people that all too often find themselves enslaved in this world, I've got the power to deliver you. I'm, I'm giving you one that has the power to deliver you. Deliverance is available. You should turn to him because he's a wonderful counselor, but you should also turn to him because he's got the power to do something about it. Let me ask you this. Have, have you been, I know it's Christmas, maybe you've got some readers on your list. Anybody been to a bookstore lately? Been in a Barnes & Noble, right? Um, I don't know about you, but but have you noticed that self-help section? Man, that sucker's gotten big, hadn't it? Right? I mean, are you following? I mean, I, I went in, I went in, you know, self-help used to be like one shelf of the bookstore. And you go in now, it is a fifth of the store, right? They have the children's section, they've got like adult fiction, non-fiction, there's some computer and job-oriented books, and then the rest of it is self-help. And, and it's just shelves and shelves and aisles and aisles. Do you know why the self-help section is so big? You know why? Because none of them work. Because that's why they're still writing books because they can't, they can't figure it out. So they've got 50 million books on how to fix yourself. Friends, you can't fix yourself. But Jesus can. He's got the power to save you. So I just, I encourage you. I encourage you. That, that's part of the promise of God. He was sending a wise counsel to you. But, but in Jesus, he was also sending someone that had the power to actually fix you. Run to him. All right, number three. Number three. He's a mighty God. Number three. I want you to see this promise teaches us that Christ is the source of eternity. The source of eternity. Let's walk through these names. We're now on the third. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The third is Everlasting Father. And that kind of messes with some people's mind because they're thinking about Jesus. They know the Scripture teaches about Jesus. They're saying, wait, this Scripture says Jesus is everlasting Father, but, but other Scriptures tells us that He is the Son of God. So how do those two things work out? Well, they work out because you, you read the original language and you kind of know that Hebrew is a little bit like Spanish. You know how sometimes in Spanish, if you were going to say something in English, you've got to put the identifier in front, in front of it first. And Hebrew is kind of that way. And it really shouldn't be read everlasting Father. It should be read Father of everlasting. Father of everlasting. You say, well, okay, that makes a little more sense. Well, here's the deal. In Hebrew, Father means, Father means originator, but it also means source. Source. And everlasting means eternity and, well, forever and ever. And so a great, simple way to understand what this title of, of, of our Savior, of our promised Savior is, is that Jesus would be the source of forever and ever. That's who he was going to be. Jesus came to usher in eternity. Now, you remember we talked about this when we talked about the book of Acts. I, I talked to you about this term called inaugurated eschatology. And, and it's just a big churchy word that means that when Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. 
You see, we're going to study this in the Sermon on the Mount. Time and time again, he speaks about the kingdom of God is among you. But other times he says, well, the kingdom of God is coming. And you say, well, what do I do with that? If the kingdom of God is among me and the kingdom of God is coming, what do I do with that? Well, the kingdom of God is among you because Jesus came at, in Advent. Jesus came and fulfilled the promise of God. And at that point when he came, he inaugurated this new kingdom. And what does Isaiah say about it? Verse 7, he says, of the increase of his kingdom, of his government and peace, there will be no end. And so his kingdom has begun, but it hasn't been consummated yet. It's going to consummate with the second advent, with his second coming. And so what, what scripture would teach us, what scripture would teach us is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the source of everything eternal. That Jesus Christ is the, the very source of eternity. That salvation can be found in, in no one else. That's why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. That's why Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Jesus is the source of eternity. That's what that third name of God, that's what the third promise of God is saying about this coming Messiah. And finally, the fourth. It's a big deal. The fourth. This fourth title of God, Prince of Peace, tells us that without Christ, we're incomplete. Without Christ, we are incomplete. That last title, Prince of Peace, uh, the word prince means prince, ruler, or leader. Peace is, is the Jewish word shalom. And it means more than peace. It actually speaks of completeness or fulfillment. It's saying that, that this coming Messiah, the promised Savior, would, would actually bring fulfillment to God's people. That, that He would bring fulfillment to God's people. That the promised Savior would not only understand their heart, He would have the power to heal them. He would be the source of eternity, but He would also bring them fulfillment, genuine, absolute fulfillment. You remember what Jesus said. He said, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and you might have it what? To the full. To the full. Jesus has come. Jesus came. The Advent is about the fact that God wanted to provide fulfillment for His people. Fulfillment. We're going to talk about that here in a second when we get to application. So what do you do with, with this? How, how does this all work out and work together? And let, let me just share with you. Let me give you application. It's not a checklist. Okay, go home. I did my three things. I'm done. This is supposed to be three things that stir up your spirit. And you're praying about these things. And God, how do I make these things happen in my life? And so here's the first. The, the first I, I would challenge you is to seek Him. To seek Him. Maybe you've seen the little Christmas saying. It's got the wise men on it. You know, it says, wise men still seek him, right? Okay, it's all Christmas Eve. Just think about that, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm not a wise man, but I do know that I need to seek him. I, I do know that I need to seek him. I, I know that when it comes to my marriage that I need to seek his face. I know that when I feel like I'm going to strangle my kids, I need to. I need to seek His counsel. I know when I feel like I, I'm, I'm done and this ministry thing is too much and I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the drama. God, the drama. Just, I, I, I know in those moments when I'm like, really, Lord, come on, adults, I thought I got out of youth ministry. In those moments, i got to seek Him. i got to seek Him. I know that. Man, I know that when I sit in traffic, brother, i got to seek Him. We're coming home uh, from... from, from uh, 
Orlando and been in the car for 2,400 miles at this point. I have 100 miles between me and my driveway, and it's game dot A&M. Yeah. And I'm an Aggie. And every car that they, that's on the road is maroon. And I love them, but I'm like, God, I'm almost home. I know when I'm in the car, i got to seek him. When I lose my temper, when I'm frustrated, I've got to seek him. When I don't know where to turn, I've got to seek him. When I'm facing problems in life and, and it, that are bigger than me, and they all are, I've got to seek him. And I want to challenge you this morning. Would you do that? Seek him. Now here's the second part. When you seek him and you receive his counsel, he's going to tell you what to do. God always does. See, he told his children, the Israelites, he said, listen, I want you to go and take over the promised land. I want you to do it. And, and so they got instruction, and they got on the brink, they got on the edge of, of, of the promised land. And, and here's the second thing you got to do after you seek him, you got to trust him. See, because they got on the edge of the promised land, and they were at a point that they could see the promise. And, and, and even some of the spies came back. You remember they sent in the 12 spies, and two of them came back and said, Man, this land is flowing with milk and honey. Man, this land is great. This land is abundant. But ten guys came back and said, Yeah, but there are giants there. You see, many Christians today, they have sought out the Lord, and God has told them exactly who they should be in life, but they do not trust God to actually be that person. They stand on the brink of the promises of God, and they look into the promised land of God, and they see what God has for them. They've received wild counsel, but they do not trust God to defeat the giants that lay in that land. And so they are unfulfilled. And so the advent is wasted. Jesus did not come just so that we could go to heaven one day. Jesus came so that we could be completely fulfilled. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and to prosper you. That's what God has for us. And so here's what I'm going to say to you. If you seek out the Lord, just be, be, be careful because He's going to show you who you're supposed to be. And He's going to lay it out in black and white. And you're going to walk up on it. You're going to walk up to it. And when you get there and you're about to step into the promises of God, you will see giants. You, you will see things like, yes, God, I want to do this, but if I let go of this, what's going to happen to that? Yes, God, but if I, if, I, if I step out in faith, what about my family? What about my friends? What about all of my plans? What are, there's always going to be giants, and so I'm telling you, it's not going to be enough to seek Him. You're also going to have to trust Him. Why should you trust Him? Because He is a mighty God. That's why you should trust Him. That's who He is. That's what we celebrate as we begin Advent, the fact that we have a wonderful counselor and a mighty God. So we begin there. Number three, I'm almost done, I promise. I know some of you want to call time out, that's enough. Number three, as you trust Him, you're going to have to learn to abide in Him. It's not a lot enough to cross over into His promises once. It, it's not enough to experience joy and freedom once. You're meant to experience them continually. You're, you're meant to bear fruit. I, I, 
I, I meet so many Christians that the greatest moment of their life was their, was their, their day of salvation. And, man, I remember the day that I was saved, and they think that, and that is their one spiritual highlight. Don't get me wrong. I, I, love, I, I remember the day that I was saved. I, I love the day that I was saved, but you know what I remember? Probably more than that. The first time I got to lead someone to Christ, man, that's what I remember. I remember the first fruit that I bore, the first fruit that by remaining in God, He used me to bear fruit for His kingdom. I can't forget it. I remember opportunities to speak to people in different languages from different countries and, and seeing, you know, a hundred people receive Christ almost at one time. And I, I've experienced that and nothing comes close. Nothing. And when you start to bear fruit, man, I'm just telling you, it's addictive. But for it to happen, let me just tell you what God says. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you will do nothing. Church, I'm just going to be honest. It's not this church. It's not just the churches in this town. It's the churches in our world today. There's not enough fruit. There's not enough fruit. And it's got to be this. It's got to be this. Because God has provided. Jesus has come. The advent has occurred. We have the power, we have the resources, we have the counsel, we have the plan. We've got our body so that we can produce it. Amen. Would you guys pray with me?